Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Brendan Leonard. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. Brendan Leonard is a writer, illustrator, speaker, and ultra runner. In 2019, he set out to complete 52 marathon distance runs in 52 weeks and survived while having fun part of the time. That is a ton of marathon distance runs. I asked him all about that in this interview. Leonard is a columnist at Outside Magazine, and his writing has appeared in Runner's World, National Geographic Adventure, Climbing, and Alpinist, and on CNN.com, and in dozens of other publications, including his website, semirad.com. That's semi-rad.com. He directed the 2017 short film, How to Run 100 Miles, which screened at film festivals in more than 20 countries and on six continents, and was viewed more than 5 million times online. He lives in Montana. I first found Brendan Leonard via his Instagram account, semi underscore rad. I kept seeing this brilliant, hilarious, like insightful work, all these illustrations about goals and happiness and life. And so I thought, who, who is this dude? And so I signed up for his newsletter. I bought one of his posters. Um, he did an elements chart of an adventure. It's like the different elements, but it was like a periodic table of elements. It was so smart. I bought two of his books. One of them is titled, I Hate Running and You Can Too, which is such a good title. And I just fanned out like crazy. And I think that you're going to love this episode, even if you're not a runner like Brendan, because there's so much good information about how do you accomplish difficult goals. Anyone who has run 52 marathon distance runs in a single calendar year has a lot of information about what it takes to do difficult goals. There's so much information in this one. I can't wait for you to hear it. It's a really fun conversation. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Remodel Health. Navigating health benefits can be a struggle, especially for leaders who wear many different hats within their organization. Luckily, you don't have to stress about picking the perfect plan for your team. Thanks to Remodel Health, you can get tailored health benefits that fit your organization's needs. Their in-depth, personalized approach to health benefits allows you to discover more options serve employees better, and control the cost and quality of your health benefits like never before. What's more, remodel customers save an average of 56% on health benefits. Imagine what you could do with savings like that. With their dedicated team of compassionate healthcare experts and consultants, your organization can experience better benefits while still getting the hands-on individual care your people need. Are you ready to learn how Remodel Health can help your organization provide better benefits and find bigger savings? Remodel's benefits consultants can run a health benefits analysis on your unique team to evaluate your current plan and help you find a better alternative that saves you money and better meets the needs of your people. Head over to remodelhealth.com slash analysis today to learn more about the health benefits analysis and get your personalized evaluation. And here's something really cool. You'll get 50% off by using the coupon code ACUF50. That's A-C-U-F-F-5-0. Let me spell that one out because the word analysis can be tricky. I've never once spelled that word correctly. Remodelhealth.com, A-N-A-L-Y-S-I-S. And remember, the coupon code is ACUF50. Experience better benefits and bigger savings with Remodel Health. All right, let's jump into the interview. Brendan, I'm so glad um, that I get to interview today. I, I told you before we started, I loved I Hate Running and You Can Too. I thought it was brilliant. I gave my wife your book, The Camping Life, for her birthday just last week. I've recommended your stuff a ton of times via my email or Instagram. Um, I just love your work. I think we're going to have a blast today. So first of all, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. And thanks for all those things you just said. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's super easy to say them um, with the stuff you create. So I guess my first question is, were you always so goal oriented? Like, were you a little kid that had checklists and you were like, you were really into goals or has it grown over time or was there a time in your life when it just kind of shifted? 
Boy, that's a good question. Um, I guess the first goal I can think of is probably like, I think it was third grade when, I don't know if you remember the Pizza Hut Book It program. Oh, yeah. I recently like, wrote down, I wish somebody would do an adult version because I would read some books to eat some pizza. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you have to reward yourself with it maybe or something now, yeah. but I don't know what happened the first time I did it. And I, I know I was getting the pizza, but... I set some obscene record for how many books I I had read um, during the program, like thousands and thousands of pages to the point that my third grade teacher talked to my mom and was like, he's not going outside for recess. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe he should, you know, and uh, they, they, they rectified that. So yeah, I was photo and article in the small town newspaper and uh, stuff like that. And, I still do it. I do, like I said, a Goodreads goal now, but that's the first one I can actually think of, you know, and through high school. No, not really. I I just don't think I had any real direction that whole time. You kind of have to have some idea of where you want to go in order to pursue it, I feel like. And I think like teenage years and early college was just kind of like, I don't know. After that, yeah, for sure. When do you feel like that um, I don't know period kind of started to taper off? Is it you're in your mid-20s? Because I was on a podcast the other day and I said, like, in some ways, I feel like I'm making up for just kind of knucklehead 20s. And I told my wife, like, everybody's a knucklehead in their 20s. She's like, no, they're not. Like, There's a lot of people that aren't. I was like, oh, I meant me. So was there a time where you started to go, okay, like I'm figuring some stuff, stuff out or it's time to like, when I was a child, I spoke like a child and now it's time to change things. Yeah, like two two events for sure. I went through five different majors in college and undergrad to the point where I can't even remember what the fifth one was now. But I landed on, I just said, I'm going to get a marketing degree and get out of here. And uh, I started writing for the school newspaper my senior year of college, which is, this is 150 years ago. It was actually printed on uh, paper and people. When did you graduate from college? 2000. Yeah. 2000. Exactly. 2000. Yeah. And that was just a wake up call. Like people would see my photo in the newspaper and come up to me at the bar or on campus every once in a while. Not, not an overwhelming amount, but, uh, and say, you know, I, I liked what you wrote. This was funny, whatever. And from there I decided I want, I want to be a writer and I don't know how to, how to do that. Um, so I went to grad school for journalism. Almost simultaneously I had to make a long story short, I went into rehab for, uh, substance abuse. Uh, for for alcohol um, right after college. And that sort of put me on this path. People have different definitions for it, but sobriety to me is you can't really do it 90 for 90%, 95%. You can't be like, yep. yeah, I'm doing great, except for Saturdays, you know? Right. So that turned into this like black and white, you're doing it or you're not sort of thing that's informed almost everything I do now to the point where it's like, set a goal, you either get there or you don't. And I, I really respond well to those black and white things. Like, did you summit the mountain? You know? Yeah. I mean, there's no you didn't kind of summit. <laughs> there's no black and white. You know, did you finish the race? Did you, did you get your, did you meet your goal of mileage that you wanted to run this week? Um, things like that. So I don't do well with gray stuff. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. The idea of figuring out some of kind of your owner's manual. Um, I don't do well with gray. Are there other things that you would say, you know what, if I sat down with you and said, okay, tell me some more things that are in your owner's manual. They might not work for everybody. They might be unique to you. But as you go, the older I get, the more I realize like, you know, for me, I spent, there's times where I would try to write on the way home from an event and it would be worthless. And I would burn myself out and be two hours of being frustrated versus going, when I'm going to speak in an event, I have high energy. I'm excited. I'm amped up for the event. I can write the whole way there. The way home, I need to give myself the grace to watch a dumb movie and not go, I got to punch out a hundred other words. What are some other things in kind of your owner's manual? Uh, daily goals do not work. Weekly goals do for me. Ah, um, okay. I Before I set a goal... I don't try to do things that I have a high chance of failing at. You know, I, I started a, a blog website in 2011 and this was not going to be a source of income. So I didn't say to myself, I'm going to write on this every single day. It was, it was like, I'm going to come up with uh, an idea every week. I kept that up for 10, 10 years. Same thing with like running. I can't write down a schedule and be like, okay, in order to get to 40 miles this week, I need to run eight miles on Monday, five miles on Tuesday. You know, I don't do that. I, I sometimes will end up running like 21 miles on Saturday just to get through, you know, like, oh boy, I really procrastinated this week. 
Yep. So those work. I am to a fault on time uh, or early for things, um, which goes back to that black and white thing. You know, I cannot say I'm going to do something and then not do it. That doesn't work for my. I can't. I can't live with it. So if I say I'm going to be there at four, I'm there at three fifty-seven. Yeah, um, early is on time. That's one of our family yeah. mottos: is early is on time. Jumping back, when you went to um, and got your master's in journalism, what was the focus? Was it marketing or was it new broadcast, newspaper? What was the print media? Yeah, uh, newspapers. I came to the University of Montana because they took their program specifically was for people who didn't have a journalism undergrad degree. Oh, and gotcha. um, I, looking back, I don't know if they just kind of took anybody who applied or what, but I, I got in. Um, so, and that's two things happened there. I moved West from the Midwest, from Iowa. I'd grown up in Iowa and discovered the mountains and then, yeah, discovered or uh, learned newspaper journalism and a little bit of creative writing here. Nobody at that time was saying, hey, newspapers are not on their way up at this point. Um, yeah. You know, and that was that was 2000. I graduated in 2004. They were still teaching film photography in yeah. the photojournalism lab. If that, That's great. They're printing yeah, photos in, right. a, in a dark room. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it was newspaper journalism, which... I think about writing and I think if you get an English degree, that's like painting paintings, you know, like canvases. And if you go to journalism, it's like painting houses. Um, you can you can work and make get a paycheck. That's a good differentiator. And and one of the reasons I ask is that I'm majored in journalism in my undergrad, um, which was my only grad. I don't know why I said undergrad as if there was post later. Um, <laughs> but uh, And I remember switching to advertising because I loved that you could use ideas to change somebody's life. Like, and, and that could be sell a car, but it could also be, hey, here's the thing you should try. And here's why I think you should try it. And I feel a lot of that in your writing. Like you write your website, semi-rad. I feel a lot of, hey, here's something I tried. And I'm not saying you have to do it, but I tried it. Here's the results. You might like it too, and it might lead to a positive result. So it feels like you can tell there's a marketing background in a kind way in your writing. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, I, I am, it's an interesting combination, the marketing and the journalism, um, because yeah, you do the path my career has taken. I've had to figure out how to get my stuff in front of people and without trying to be like super clickbaity uh, about yeah, it. Yeah. And which is tempting. I mean, I like it's, For sure. it's, it's easy. It's a good shortcut, but it's long term. You don't feel very good when you shut your computer. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that has a cost. To the writing part, 2011, you've got a, a regular job. You're in a, a, a normal job. Are you, were you at a, like a newspaper? What were you doing in your kind of day job years, if you will? I had just left a nonprofit where okay. we, we took um, urban kids on backpacking trips. Um, that was in the, Montana? No, nah, this is in, in Colorado. Um, the Colorado. trips went sort of uh, California, Colorado, Oregon, Minnesota. But I was there, I worked on a fundraiser and I had just left and got a job uh, writing copy for IBM, marketing copy um, through a friend. And I was kind of worried I was losing, I would lose touch with that sort of adventure side of my life. So I started a blog on the side and I was working from home so I could work on it, you know, for a couple hours if I needed to on a Wednesday um, and then go back to my marketing copywriting, you know, when I was done because no one's you know, you're not clocking in and out showing up sure. at an office. So, yeah. So that was the, that was the start of it. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to try this every week and for maybe a year. And if something happens, great. And if not, I'll have done something, you know, I was, had been trying to write for like outdoor magazines for like seven years at that point, like climbing outside backpacker. And I was not having a huge amount of success. I was like, they don't want to run the, the stuff I want to write, which is trying to be funny about this whole ridiculous thing we do, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, climbing a mountain is, is a beautiful, unnecessary sport. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's one of those things where you go like, and so is running a ton. I mean, there's a bunch of pursuits we do that I think we should have the room to go like, yeah, I know it's silly, but I, I keep track of my miles and I care that there's a dude who beat my time on Strava because he now owns the lead. I don't know who he is, but I hate him. And he owns right. the devil's backbone, which is what we call our suburban neighborhood, apparently. Um, you know, like, yeah. so I, so you were sending articles in and they just wouldn't accept them or they weren't interested? 
Yeah. Yeah. Pitches for articles. Yeah. And um, yeah. Um, and you just kind of knew by looking at the magazine, you're like, I have this idea for a funny thing. And that's really just not their job. Um, yeah. And several years later, an editor would did say to me while I was writing a feature for his magazine, write it more like you write it for your blog. And I thought, oh, okay. We've, we're here now. Okay, great. We came full circle. How long did you do that? How long were you doing both things? So IBM marketing, um, writing kind of a side hustle on the side. A year and a half, probably. And right after I started working for IBM, I moved into my car and just started driving around the West a little bit. Gotcha. Um, you so you said working. that sentence pretty casually, um, right? <laughs> yeah. I moved into my car. Like, that's a fairly big, big decision. So you're working out of your car, you're driving around, are you couch surfing with friends? Are you kind of doing a medley of things? Yeah, mostly. I'm um, like camping where I could. And yeah, couch surfing a friend's had a couch. And fortunately, I was a little mature for moving into my car, like 32. 32? Yeah. So some of your friends have a couch by then or yeah. even a guest bedroom, uh, which is nice. See, I did that for like a year and a half. And I still remember shipping my IBM company computer back from Salt Lake City to, to them and being like, okay, this is it. I'm giving up my health insurance, dental insurance, paycheck. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Was, I could just hear my dad's voice like, are you sure this is a good idea? You know? What were the things, because I get this question a lot because I, you know, eight years ago did something similar in that I said, okay, I'm going to start my own thing. And I had already tried a bunch of other things. I tried a million different things. My, my poor wife has been through multiple iterations of um, what people would call my career. <laughs> but what were some of the things that you started to go, okay, I think I can do this. And if I've got this in place, then I can you know, like, what was that process like? Because people ask me and they, you know, often they want the three steps and there's never three steps. But for you, what were some of the things that were present that made you say, I can ship a computer back to one of the biggest companies in the world. And now dental is on me. Like I have my own healthcare. Like I, you know, I know the challenges. So what was that process like for you? Yeah, I, I was just doing um, adventure writing on the side, you know, and it started to grow enough where it was like, to the point where I couldn't quite make a living at it. It was like very close to poverty, but it was enough where I couldn't concentrate on both at the same time. Yeah. And it was kind of like, well, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it now. And I was like single, you know, living in my van. I had bought a van by that point, which is yeah. super, um, an Astro van, not a, not a nice sprinter van that you see people yeah. in nowadays, but not uh, a Mercedes, like $200,000 sprinter van, an no, Astro van. A, 2005 Astro van um, bought at a car dealership called Johnny's Auto Sales and Pawn. Um, nice. So and pawn, you, yes. Yeah. yeah. I feel like sales could have been spelled with two Z's um, yeah, in, this, right. in this story. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And I had a base gig that I could, I think if I would have produced the amount that the editor wanted me to, I would have made like $24,000 a year okay. in cash, okay. not like yeah. uh, no taxes taken out. Yeah. So it was like, I had to hustle on the side to make more than that. Yeah. So that was enough. It was like enough where I'm like, I'm not going to starve at least for six months. And it's probably your experience too. You just kind of, I mean, my life now looks like a collection of side gigs, you know, like, and they move every year and the pie chart changes and um, you kind yeah. of decide, oh, I don't want to do that one thing anymore. I'm going to try this instead. And uh, or work with this client anymore or whatever. So yeah, that first first year was like, oh boy, I don't know. I'm, this might be a bad deal. Yeah. For me, I th always think about it like faucets. Like I tell people you have multiple faucets so that when four of them get turned off outside of your control, you're like, good thing I got these other three. Yes. <laughs> Better go find four new ones. So like last March, I, you know, public speaking is probably the biggest thing I do all year. And texted my friend. I was like, man, I think the first half of the year is going to be tough for a lot of people. Like that was my interpretation of the pandemic. And then I was like, oh boy. And I was like, looks like I better do some new stuff. So <laughs> like, I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to add to the mix, um, to the to the experience? So I, I love hearing kind of your thought process with that. One of the, the reasons I connected with your content was um, you write a lot about running. And I'm curious from your perspective, why do people have such a hard time saying I'm a runner? For years, if people asked me that, I would say, I'm not a runner, I run. Like I just, I couldn't own it. And, and the reason I ask too is that I meet people who won't say they're a writer or won't say they're a painter or won't like, I'm not a photographer, I own a camera. Why do we have a hard time with some of this self-identification about things we really ultimately maybe secretly care about? Right. I don't, you know, I think because we identify ourselves by our day jobs so often, you know, 
I remember the first time I told somebody I was a writer and it was just like, cause they said, what do you do? And I was, I had just sort of gone full-time writing and I was like, it was like putting on a sweater and being like, Oh, okay. I'm a writer. And you were like, we're not very confident saying it. Like, right. Do you believe me? And they were like, Oh, cool. And I was like, okay, I guess they I fell for it. They fell um, for it. But yeah, I think like with those sorts of activities, we think, you know, like running or I had a hard time, like, I was a climber for, for many years, but how many hours are you doing in a week? You know, like four compared to, you know, being a father, you know, which is a full-time thing or a mother, you know, but also we fixate so much on the people who are really successful at those things. When we watch the Boston marathon or well, let's say the New York city marathon, do they cover anybody who finishes after, like past like 20th place? Not really, you know, <laughs> no. so, and there are 53,000 people in the New York city marathon. And those people are achieving something really incredible. But we look at, you know, we don't want to be like, I'm a runner. And somebody will say, like, what's your marathon time? And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, 420, four, you know, five hours, whatever it is, you know. Um, so we don't feel like we, we've earned that because that's all our sports coverage, you know. And it's the same in, in sort of the adventure world too. Climbers, you know, they only, we only focus on the highest end of the spectrum. And where I was able to speak to where I am still able to speak to is the things that the rest of us have in common. You know, the other 52,960 people on the New York city marathon, like we're all, we're all just trying, man. We're just trying to do our best and we are running. I don't know if we need to call ourselves, if everybody's comfortable calling themselves writers, but or runners, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we're still doing it. I think the same thing applies to entrepreneurs, business owners. I mean, I joked when during the pandemic when people were like, hey, uh, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet during a pandemic. And I wanted to be like, that wasn't the only thing that separated us. Like that we we both, now that I have a pandemic, I can be Shakespeare. Like that's a weird comparison. <laughs> or like, right. where, you know, like that wasn't the one thing for pre- preventing me was being stuck at home. Or, you know, Gary Vee's a really successful entrepreneur and people compare themselves to him. He has 700 employees and like you would never drive down a street and see a building with 700 people in and be like, that's what I'm competing against. Like, and they're, they're so much better at posting stuff than I am, but I'm going to get there. It's one versus 700. It's such a weird thing right. to me. There's some examples in about that kind of, you know, you're not going to win the New York marathon. No, you know, when you're, when you're a grand father, you're not going to say I came in 33rd and, you know, 33,000th place. But one of the things you said in your book, I hate running that I loved was, here's a neat thing about running as an adult. And I think it's true of a bunch of things in life. Most of us have almost zero chance at winning a race. So we have to figure out another reason to run or way to be successful at it besides taking home a first place medal. So I get the sense from you that you're really good at going, okay, this is my value system. This is my definition of success. How do you kind of on a, maybe it's a weekly basis. It sounds like that's how you like to think about goals. What does a successful life look like for you that might not line up with the world's definition of success? Or this is this year's definition. How do you hold on to your personal definition of success? Boy, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I just think I've always wanted to just live an interesting life. I was um, in in the Wind River Range in Wyoming last weekend and just hiking up a, a peak there with a friend. And I thought, you know, there was like a long time ago, I just wanted to be a guy who climbed mountains, you know, and I got to do that. And that's pretty rad. So I guess it changes year to year. Um, I do think I am motivated by having goals like, oh, I want to write a book or I want to try to run a hundred miles uh, in a race uh, or, or something like that. And I guess if you want to have done interesting things, you have to do interesting things and you have to like make yourself do them oftentimes. And sometimes they take months or years to prepare for, but I guess the common theme is this probably don't, I don't like watch a lot of Netflix, you know, (laughs) Um, which is to a fault. You know, I need to learn how to relax. Uh, I've been, been trying to learn, but it doesn't really work out so well so often. Yeah, I think we have that in common. Um, my wife one year said, hey, you're, you're kind of a workaholic. I think you need a hobby, like you need to relax. And so I was like, well, I like ping pong. And it ended up with me um, hiring a ping pong coach to train me. I'm not sure for what. And um, <laughs> it w- ended up with me in a, like a rental property with an elderly man from mainland China throwing a bucket of balls at me yelling, kill, kill, kill. And I was like, and my wife said, I asked you to get a hobby and you found a way to turn it 
into a miserable kind of death march of performance. And I was like, I sure did. I found a way to ruin <laughs> ping pong. So for you, where is that kind of, I'm learning how to relax. And, and you talked about that recently in one of your, your recent blog posts, you know, taking a break from a weekly, okay, I'm going to do it every week. I'm going to do it every week, create content. What does it look like for you to lean into relaxing? I wish I had an answer for you. Um, I know. I, I, I would like yeah. it for my life. I would just copy it immediately. Um, and I'd try to even out relax you. Maybe I'd be competitive relaxing. Well, you know, I've seen people, um, even recently just doing plain air painting, you know, near here, like they're just painting a mountain scene. And I assume those people, I don't know the person I've seen, I assume they're not doing it for a living, right? Yeah. They're just doing art and that's their hobby. So I think where, and you might agree with this, that, there's a very blurry line between work and art, right? Like you're doing this ping pong thing, but I know from reading your writing that this is going to show up in a book oh, at yeah, some point, yeah, right? Yeah. Or a speaking gig. So yeah. is there something wrong with that? I don't know. And I have a friend who is at one point, I forget what we were talking about. It was in a, a meeting at, at work and he said, this is me smiling. And he wasn't smiling. And I was like, okay, that's funny. You know, it was like, and I just like, I do things and I'm, I'm outside, like, you know, planting a tree or like fixing a fence. And I go like, this is me relaxing. It's okay. It doesn't look the same as everybody else's. And even the long runs I do, like, that's me relaxing. I'm not out there checking my email. I'm not like taking phone calls. I'm not listening to podcasts. I'm not doing anything. I'm just out there. It's not monetized. You're not monetizing the run. Well, I mean, theoretically at some point, I would tell the IRS that, my running shoes are definitely yeah. a write-off part of and, the, and other things. Yeah, and, um, yeah it's, it's, it's part of the bigger brand or, or something yeah. like that. And most people would say, you just were out on a trail for four and a half hours and they call that relaxing. It's like, yeah, I finished it. Once I have run, I'm done. Now I can eat pizza and that, yeah. I'm more relaxed. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess like, do you like uh, sitting in hot tubs? No, I mean, like if I'm, if I've just skied, and it's maybe, like maybe. snowing and we're in Salt Lake City and like, no, but like if somebody was like, hey, you want to go hot tubbing? I'd be like, no, that's weird. Yeah. Um, like, I yeah. don't, or like if somebody was like, hey, you want to lay in a hammock for like five hours? I'd be like, nah, that doesn't sound enjoyable. So I kind of divide people up into soakers and non-soakers. And <laughs> that's funny. So there's like the hot springs, the hot tub, and then a friend of mine, Forrest, the guy who actually shot all the photos to that camping book. We are polar opposites in many ways, but we are really great friends and creative partners. He's a soaker and he's the hammock to him is air soaking. That's what he calls it. So, so that falls in that same category. I'm, I'm just not a soaker, man. You know, like I get it. That's fine. It's your thing, but I just, I just don't do it really. I, I love that. I think that, I think that's so funny. So you've talked before about putting pressure on yourself to, you said in your recent blog post, to make the exact right thing every week. So the stuff you create isn't like, it's not a short one-off, it's, it's illustrated, it's got graphics, it's well thought out, it's detailed. Is perfectionism something that where you have to go, okay, now I've entered into perfectionistic mode and I need to pull it back. I need to just release it. Like, how do you kind of process perfectionism in a way where it doesn't prevent you from creating in a way that feels refreshing to you, but you actually get the thing done? Right. Yeah. And when I wrote that, I think I was thinking about, so I, and you probably do this too, you consider the audience, you know, that's going to read it. And I kind of have operated from the point of view that I don't want to be the worst part of anybody's day. Like the stuff I put out there, I don't want somebody to click on my thing and go, Oh, he's making fun of me and people who do the same thing. Yeah. So I've, I've always tried to make fun of us, not them, um, which I think the world could use more of because I am a rich source of comedic material in my life. Um, <laughs> That's is, so funny. So I, I spend a lot of time probably to a fault thinking about that. Like, is somebody going to take this the wrong way? Is this going to offend someone? And during the pandemic, when you're making something every week, you're kind of taking the temperature of everyone else out there. And, you know, you can't just be like making light of something or making fun of something that's during a very not funny week. So there's kind of a lot of self-made, self-induced pressure that I put on myself trying to deliver something that would help people get through it. 
you know, and my audience isn't like millions of people. So it wasn't like, it's not that big of a deal. But if I put something out, I wanted it to help not, not drag people further down during a time that's pretty rough, you know? So I guess that's the only sort of perfectionism I have. Most of my stuff is met with not disagreement. It's either people like it or people are completely indifferent to it. Uh, they yeah. just don't, you know, they just don't click. They don't share it. They don't notice, um, which is, which is a good place to be. I think I just don't want to spend my days like arguing with people in the comments section or whatever. No, I never walk away feeling better. Um, and I know <laughs> they don't, they don't either. Like I never go, ah, that was good for both of us. I know we, we finally convinced each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We, I changed your long held personal beliefs with my all cap statement. Exactly. Um, who knew that was all it was going to take? That is, I never feel good about that. I'm curious. We've talked about goals a bunch and I have to ask you about one of your biggest ones. It's actually your, it's your second line in your bio um, about 52 marathon distance runs in 52 weeks. Wild goal, huge goal. How did you come up with it? How did you execute it? What were your favorite parts? Like, tell us about that process. Because I was just in Colorado yesterday talking to an old college roommate. And I said, oh, I'm interviewing, you know, Brendan on, you know, this week. And he said, oh, he's the dude that did 52. Like, he, that was the thing he knew. So how did you come up with that? We were in New York. We'd finished our camping book, all the photo shoots for it. Forrest and I both love pizza and are okay runners. And we said, I think it was my idea. And I said, we should do a pizza marathon where we eat a slice of pizza in every borough and run 26 miles. And we started going through the logistics of it. And my ed our editor for that book actually took us out for pizza that day for lunch. So we were getting a late start and we'd already eaten pizza and we kind of went to get over to Staten Island and then run and like, it's just, we can't do it and like finish in any amount of time that is, you know, won't put us being out in three in the morning. So we just said, Oh, we'll just run 26 miles within Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, I think. Is that how we did it? Anyway, we ended up eating a slice every five miles for 26 miles, which we thought was a pretty good, pretty good goal. And it's awful. And I would never recommend anyone do it. Um, it was fun until about the third slice. And then it's like, oh, oh so that's when you were like, boy, this pizza's sitting kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason I mean, they don't do this in the Boston Marathon. Is yeah, that? it's uh, it's not a good idea. I was kind of thinking, like, how am I going to make 2019 interesting? And, uh, well, you know, that marathon, that didn't kill me. You know, we were stopping every five miles and eating a slice of pizza. And, like, someone would have to stop and use the bathroom at some point. And, but I thought, you know, I could just do, like, try 52 of these. So, like January 2nd, I think I was staying at my parents' house in Iowa and I went and ran down dirt roads until I got to 26 miles and felt okay. So a couple of days later, I did another one and I'm not going to like tell anybody. I'm not going to announce it on social media and like... How long did you keep it a secret for? Oh, like most of the year, you know? Really? Yeah. I mean, I didn't have, I don't have like a lot of Strava followers or anything, but yeah. I would just, it would just say morning run and it would be like 26.2 miles. That's crazy. And in it, I, I did, I had a really big year of races um, where I ran 200 mile races, uh, 100K, so 62 miles, and then a handful of marathons um, that were actual races. But most of those runs were like, I would just leave my house in Denver and run 26 miles around the park, you know, with a vest and water. And sometimes if it was hot, I'd have to stop home and get more water or I'd take the dog with me for the first two or three miles, then drop him off and then finish the run. But it was a, it was a grind mostly, but you know, it was such a fun, I got in really good shape. I'd run 40 miles a week and I, so I'd only have to run three times a week because I'd have 26 of them taken care of. Uh, but I ran the New York marathon that year. I ran the Missoula marathon. The best one though, I think was the last one where it was just like, I had thought I'll uh, get a bunch of friends and we'll like, maybe they can run the last, you know, however many miles they want to run with me. And then we'll go to a pizza place and it'll be fun. And then I thought, that's just making way too big of a deal out of it. Most of this has been just me grinding it out in my own head. And so I just ran by myself one, I think it was a December night and I started misting and it was like cold and miserable and it got dark. And I was just like, God, this sucks. <laughs> It's perfect, you know. Yeah, that's so good. This is exactly what I wanted to happen. And I got home, took a shower, and went out for a deep dish with my wife. And, like, that was it. It wasn't 
52 marathon races, which a lot of people have done, um, but logistically and money wise, I just, that's cool. And a lot of times they do it to raise money for causes, but I just didn't think it was that relatable. You know, like I don't think anybody's going to look at what I did and go, I'm going to do that. But if they run a 5k every week, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Or a 10k or whatever it is that you, that you want to do. But you start going down the rabbit hole, you find people have done 365 marathons in a year and that is bananas. I don't even know. How, how are their knees? Like, how do they, I mean, I feel like you'd be shredded up or something. Like you I feel like you would have aged your body. I just, it's not, it did not seem fun to me. Do you retire goals when they're not fun? Like eventually do you go, hmm. like goals are grueling, goals are hard. Like even good ones, like that's part of why it's fun on the back end is like, one of the statements I use is I'll feel awesome after. So like okay. in the middle when it sucks, I'm like, yeah, it sucks, but I'm going to feel awesome after. And that's what I think about. But have there been times and you've set off on a goal and maybe it's a month like long goal, six months and you go, you know what? This is no longer fun. It's not serving me and it's not helping me. It's going to retire it. Yeah. Last year I had nothing going on or this year I had nothing going on. So New Year's day, I thought I'm going to run a 5k every day because I had, interviewed a guy who would run a 5k every day, uh, Eric, who was just, uh, I think he's an accountant with a family in Minneapolis. And it was kind of a fun story to get into his head and, you know, figure out why he did it. And it sounded cool. And I got two months into it and I was like, I don't like this at all. This is just not cool. I would just run 3.1 miles around my neighborhood. And I was like, it was icy and cold and snowy and which is fine. I don't mind, but like every single day. And I was like washing all these running clothes all the time. And yeah. like, this is just making me miserable. So I think I got two months into it and I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, this, year. this one's out. Yeah. I, I, I love when people can say, okay, this one doesn't serve me any longer. Let me, let me kick it to the curb. It sounds like a lot of these stories, you are having kind of a fun conversation. There's something fun that kicks it off and then it turns into something bigger. Um, are you a planner though? Like say it's, you know, it's the beginning. Mm-hmm. Do you do a planning kind of thing at the end of every year? Is it like every Sunday you go, okay, I'm not a daily person, but I know this is kind of where my week's headed or this is where my month's headed. What's your planning process like? Planning would be a good idea, I guess. Um, That'd be great. Something I would like to get more into, but uh, not really with the year long goal of like 52 marathons or 52 marathon length runs. It's like, you just got to do 52. It wasn't like every week. And some weeks I would not do any like significant mileage um some weeks i would do two marathons but it was just like just keep checking them off because you're probably going to get injured at some point you have to take four weeks off so you better you better bank some of them yeah yeah but yeah no i like i think i have things i know i want to do and they're all you know like career-wise i'm sure this is like this for you too you're just like pushing a ball kicking a ball forward on this this thing this week and then you're like i better go kick this other one keep that in motion and like yeah you kind of are just like running back and forth and moving them a little bit. And if that one ball doesn't get moved for several weeks, you're like, Oh gosh, am I giving up on this or what? Yeah. Is this still a ball? Yeah. 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 I, uh, I am a big fan of committing early buy the plane tickets, sign up for the race, whatever it is. Uh, um, yeah. Let that, let that commitment pull you. Yeah. Cause once, once you commit, it takes, it takes a lot for me to back out, you know? So that's kind of the thing. And I, I generally do not back out of things. Which is part of that owner's manual knowing, okay, I'm going to put this commitment in the future because I'm not going to want to back out and it's going to allow me to do the work in between. Right. In the book, I have a section about a fear-based fitness plan yeah. where you just set a goal. You're not sure you can achieve so then you spend however many months, you know, getting ready for it because you're terrified. It keeps you up at night. Um, and this is, this has worked for like mountain climbing for me for a long time, as well as ultra marathons. Cause you can't just show up and be like, yeah, so, I haven't been doing much running, but I thought this 50 mile race in the mountains would be fun. So yeah, I have a good I attitude. I have yeah. a good attitude. So it should be fun. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, analogous to a lot of things like public speaking, even, you know, I don't love doing it. I love having done it. I enjoy interacting with people. I took that on. Like I decided to try to do it a bunch to lose the fear of it. And that was like, it still hasn't completely gone away, but I've been told by a psychologist friend that I'm doing sort of amateur exposure therapy where you're like, I'm exposed myself to this thing that I'm scared of and then, and then get over it eventually. But yeah, that's, that's sort of 
that same fear-based self-improvement plan, if you will. I don't know. I think that works with writing too. I mean, I know I've got a a book contract that I that I'm about to kind of sign. And I'm I'm a little scared about it. It's a different project. I'm like, okay, here we go. But I will have committed. I will have and I know and I want it to be great. And there's a bunch of kind of positive pressures associated with it. And I can see it in kind of like the back of my mind, like, hey, remember, like you signed up some papers, like there's some people in a building that wear pants that want you to finish that book. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to let I don't want to let those people down. Oh boy, I don't yeah. want to let those people down. I do love that, even though you talk about the training side of things and being prepared, there's a real heart to the things you do. And I think one of my favorite phrases that you use is practice maximum enthusiasm. I saw it first on a t-shirt that you have on your store. I purchased the Elements of Adventure, the the print. You've got so many really fun prints. But explain where that came from, what that means to you. Because you don't have a hundred shirts. You have two or three where it seems like these are you know, using soundtracks as a phrase, these are soundtracks for the, the life I live and the life I encourage. But in one of yours is practice maximum enthusiasm. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, actually, I, I was sort of turning this back on you. And I wonder if you do the same thing where you write from perspective of the person you want to be. Huh. Maybe, maybe you're not quite there yet. But that's where that came from. It was like, I need to be this guy because I'm not a 100% positive person all the time in my own head or you know, my wife is the only person who's really exposed to it a lot where I'll just, I'll go dark, you know, for a few minutes and like, this is, oh, you know, but that sort of idea about life was like, people can argue with tastes. They can argue with your favorite, who your favorite baseball team is, but enthusiasm, people don't usually mess with that much. You know, it's kind of like, why wouldn't we want to be excited about things? Um, so I wrote this piece, like, it's probably been, I think it was 2012. And it's the only piece I run every year on my blog and every year on the outside magazine website. And I haven't changed anything. I changed the name of the band and the piece every year. And, but it's, that's the kind of person I want to be. Cause if you've ever been around somebody who's sort of a wet blanket, it's not that, it's not that great. I mean, <laughs> not that for like, for like an hour or half an hour, but then you're kind of like, okay, yeah, it's, yeah, why should we ever leave bed? You know, we should just stay in, stay in bed all day because it's obviously awful out there. That's the guy I want to be, I guess. And I, I feel like a lot of these things that I've written over the years are just notes to myself. Like, yeah. I should do this, you know? And and then having been the person who says, you know, I say what I mean and I do what I say. And you're like, I wrote that last week. I can't just be a hypocrite. Yeah, it's another commitment. It's another form of, of commitment. Yeah. I would say the same. I, I mean... I work really hard at positivity because I'm naturally pretty melancholy or mopey. Like I, we went to a, a Counting Crows concert the other night, my wife and I did. And she was like, Speaking so of mopey. mopey. Yes. She was like, I was so mopey. And I was like, it was amazing. Like they opened <laughs> with Round Here. Like a lot of bands open right out of the gate with like a huge loud song. And they were like, they opened with like Round Here, which you're like, wow, that is definitely mopey. And I find something that I, I would go, I'm going to write this book and at the end of the experience or the blog or whatever, I will have learned something that I think will help me and I think it'll help other people. And so I'm not naturally like positive. I work at it. It's interesting to hear you say that, that that's almost, it's almost like a message in a bottle you throw out to wash back up on your own island. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a great visual. Yeah. And has it become a self-fulfilling prophecy for you, would you say? I would say it's become a good practice in the same way that like running is easier because I run. Um, so like being deliberate and going, okay, like I, you know, and I leave myself notes like our soundtracks. I mean, that's why for me, figuring out how to think and being deliberate about that. Like I have one on the wall right now, I'll just grab it off. And it says, I love writing this book. And I wrote that on November 6, 2019, because I kept forgetting and I would do the writer thing where it's like, writing's easy, you just have to open up a vein and bleed. And I was like, going so, like, I'm like a coal miner. And I'm like, no, like, I love this. This is a privilege. Like, remember, and I needed a reminder. Like, and so I've looked at this a thousand times in the last two years. And so, yeah, it's definitely helped, but it's definitely a practice. So I, yeah, it's funny you approach some things that same way and go, I'm going to learn this. I want to aspire to this. I, that's why I reading your stuff. I'm like, oh, I get this guy. Like I, yeah. I understand where he's coming from. So only a couple last questions. One is, um, 
What do you do to deal with distractions? You kind of joke that you don't watch a lot of Netflix, but I, you know, recently realized that my phone, other than like the calculator and the actual part that calls people is 99% an infomercial whose goal is to distract me. Like every app there, like, and that Facebook has 53,000 employees and they don't have it in their, like their, their goal list, but they're all aimed at distracting John. So what do you do to handle distractions? Oh man, I like the only solid thing. The only thing I'm able to do on a regular basis is run. I don't listen to music or podcasts or anything when I run. So it's just me in my own head. I take my phone a lot because I'll be, sometimes I need it for navigation for different trails or to take photos or whatever. And inevitably I'll end up pulling it out to take notes. I'm like, you know, it'd be funny as a t-shirt that says blah, 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 you know, or like, yeah. oh, maybe I'll write something about this and I'll, I'll take notes. I'll just stop and walk and take some notes for a while. But yeah, I'm trying just like everybody else is. And I feel like turning the Wi-Fi off on my computer so I can actually write works or making myself just write 500 words works. But for the most part, I'm just kind of, I know that they say like, you should do like three Instagram stories a day showing people your creative process. And I'm like, nobody wants to see that. It'd just be like a time lapse of me sitting at this computer, like banging my head against the wall. Like that's not interesting. If you want to call yourself a writer, you do have to write. You can't just take photos of yourself at the laptop being like, doing the thing now, isn't this cool? And then like spend the rest of your time responding to comments on the internet. It's like, you have to make the thing, you know? And so for me, what I've just recently discovered, which seems ridiculous because I'm 42 and I've been doing this since, well, arguably since 2004, is I have to make something every day. Whether it's just a little drawing on a post-it note or a 3000 word essay, or, you know, something like that. I have to make one thing every day to make myself happy. That's my thing. I just have to create something that did not exist before. And I'm good. So that's your only daily, like, that's your only daily goal. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like in inbox zero, obviously is a thing with me too, but uh, that's, that only happens like once every month or so. Um, Yeah. Those are the the two. So yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm the same way with like distract trying to not document my process. Part of it is then I'd be thinking about the angle of the photo I'm taking. And then I'd be thinking about like, what's the best hashtag to show that I'm writing. And then before you know it, I'm nine miles away from actually doing the thing. And so, yeah, when somebody says you should do a reel about writing, I'm like, I got to just write though. Like I don't, and I suck at reels and other people are really good at them, but they're not writing books. I know. Um, I know. And you're like, you're good at writing books. So just like, there's a, yeah, yeah, a big, a big distinction between writing and publishing and like, you well, whenever you somebody have, says, just punch out a quick video, like just do a quick, like 60 second hilarious video that's informative and helpful and pushes people forward and encourages them. And I'm like, that is like a long writing project for me. That is not. <laughs> you're, you're overestimating, overestimating my talent here. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm not that good. Yeah. No, no. That's not me for sure. A lot yeah. of people can. It's, it's not me. Okay. Last question or second to last question. What's the book you've given away more than any other book other than one of your own? Uh, probably this one. Brian Doyle's One Long River of Song. One Long River of Song. All right. You know, I'll just mail you one because I have. Why? Why have you given that away? Like, what's the one? Like, what's the thing? Uh, the subtitle is "Notes on Wonder," and uh, oh, that's a pretty good subtitle. He um, he died. I'm gonna say in 2017. I had brain cancer, I think. And basically, his a friend of his put together this collection of his essays, and it's um. Yeah. Notes on Wonder is such a great subtitle for it because he approaches everything in life from the perspective of wonder and joy. And he gets dark and he, you know, can go dark for a while, but there's reminiscence, there's stories about people he's met. There's an incredible essay about a a massive sturgeon, uh, Herman the Sturgeon. Um, It's incredible. My my wife and I are both big fans of him, and you can laugh and cry in the same two-page essay. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. One of his best pieces is a piece about his, his dying brother, and they're driving to the pharmacy to get his prescriptions that he thinks he probably isn't going to need, and they just want to watch people play basketball in the park. And and there's a, I think there's a crane they're watching, uh, like a the bird. And it's all comes together in like two and a half pages, and you just put it down. That last line is just, whoa. Wow. Incredible. I love that. Um, yeah. I love that. 
So yeah, he's a, he's a hero. Um, and I can pick up this book and flip through and find something and, and just be like, wow, this is, this is somebody to emulate for sure. Um, just that well, that's a great recommendation. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't read that one. Have you read any David White? No, I don't think so. Oh man. Okay. That if just, you, just I'll mail good. you that one. It's okay. He has a book called <laughs> the heart aroused. I'll send you a copy of that one. It's he's a Welsh poet that writes about kind of the soul and work and, Okay. Just brilliant. And he has a bunch of great audio, like mid, I think it's midlife and the great unknown about like being in your forties and being like, okay. So okay. And he, it's in his voice and he's a Wel- Welsh poets have a bit of an advantage of like no <laughs> other country hears my accent and goes, that is amazing. Yeah. You hear that American accent? Okay. That guy's so, so charming. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. so charming. He must be from somewhere in America, like, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's brilliant. So, all right, I'm going to, I'll send you the heart aroused. That's an easy one to do. All right. Last question. Where can people find out more about you? All the links, all the, you know, where would you like people to connect with what you do? You can probably just Google the phrase semi-rad and that'll take you where you need to go. But my website is semirad.com, which is a brand. With a dash in between it? Is there a dash between semi and rad? Yeah. And I bought, I bought the other URL just so it redirects without the dash. Um, But yeah, it's, I'm sticking with that brand, I guess at this point. So I love it. You're too deep. You're too deep. But yeah, great books. Uh, I Hate Running um, and You Can Too was hilarious and helpful. Camping Life is absolutely gorgeous. And um, I always recommend your Instagram account. You put out great stuff that's super helpful, super well done, um, beautifully illustrated. Um, you do a, a great job of marrying a visual with a story. And I, that's something I really admire as, as someone who tries to doodle um, you just do such a great job with that. So um, I think it's fresh and really fun. So it was a real honor to get to ask you a couple of uh, goal setting questions. So thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Uh, thank you, John. I appreciate you saying all that. Thank you for listening to my interview with Brendan Leonard today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews you're putting in are so kind and so helpful. And I really appreciate you doing that. When you've got a newish podcast like mine, reviews are really, really important. So please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. Last but not least, big thank you once again to our sponsor, Remodel Health. Visit RemodelHealth.com analysis. That's RemodelHealth.com slash analysis and get 50% off by using coupon code ACUF50. That's A-C-U-F-F-5-0. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. podcast.